Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, again, guys, you've heard me say it so many times, the therefore is based on all the other chapters that we have been reading up until this point. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. In uh, Ephesians 4, 3, it says, be diligent to preserve, preserve, excuse me, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Well, what does that mean? Be diligent. Being diligent at something means you practice it. You go over it again and again and again. You do it almost to the point where it becomes uh, rote. It becomes something that you just do. It's a part of your life. But isn't that the key to all of it? And that is we are to be like who? We're to be like Jesus. Not like our neighbor, not like our husband, not like our wife. See, we do these horizontal comparisons. And doing that, we can see somebody that's worse off than us, right? And we can say, well, I'm not as bad as them. Or it's their fault. Or if they didn't do this, I wouldn't do this. We have to kind of sever that logic and say, you know what? I need to be imitators of Jesus. I need to be an imitator of Jesus. And you go, well, that's impossible, Jesus is God in the flesh. You're right. But we are to mimic the Lord, not the world. And and today, in our society, there's a whole lot of mimicking the world. A lot of times you even go to church, and it's just uh, another American idol. (laughs) You know, it's a a performance-based kind of thing. And as Pastor Dan has taught you, you feel like you're in the middle of a, of a concert. You pull away and you go, yeah, the music was amazing. But, but what about God's word? How, how, about, how about the thing that's really going to change us? It's not the music that's going to change us. It's not the pastor that's going to change us. It's the word of God that's going to change us. And if we sacrifice that, if we give that up, we might as well not even be a church. Doesn't matter the programs, doesn't matter the athletic programs, doesn't matter all the other stuff that goes on. If the Word of God is not taught simply and truthfully, then it would be hard to really call that a church. We're to mimic the Lord as dear children. Now, I have this picture burned into my brain of my youngest son as a little boy sitting in the living room floor with my shoes on. That's my little son, my youngest son, Aaron. Not so little anymore. In fact, he's sitting there with my shoes on, and of course, they don't fit. You can tell they're a little big for him there. But if any of you have seen my son lately, my feet would no longer fit in his shoes. He's grown up. Well, that's a lot like the Lord. We first come to know Jesus as a baby. Those shoes don't fit. They don't fit. But as we grow in the Lord, as we imitate him long enough, we begin to look like him. We begin to take on his characteristics. And I want to encourage those of you parents out there that have a difficult child. Aaron, no doubt, has been my most difficult child. And he and I have always had a really rough relationship. 
I have just begun over the last three years or so to understand my son. It wasn't all him. Some of it was me. He thinks differently than most people think. He reacts differently than most people react. He does things that appear to be just rebellion. And it's been that way since he was a little guy. I mean, just a little bitty guy. I'm going, he had to, he had to win every single argument. It didn't matter what it was. It didn't matter what you said. If you said the sky was blue, he'd go, no, it's not. It's just a shade of blue with white mixed in. And he would see all these other things. And you're going, this is just rebellion. This is just rebellion. So as a parent, you try to work that rebellion out of him. You realize there's something unique about him. And most of the time, a lot of the world has interpreted that as failure. And yeah, there has been some. There's no doubt there has been some. Again, it doesn't operate the same way everybody else operates. But as I began to do a little more reading and a little more research on ADHD and a whole bunch of other things, I began to see things in a different way. There are some folks who just can't do the thing everybody else does. They just can't. But what I'm saying is, he and I have grown closer together after all of these years. So my point is, don't give up. Don't give up. You have a child that's not walking with the Lord. Continue to pray. Continue to work. Because you are becoming more like Jesus also. And as you become more like him, you're going to begin to understand things a lot more. So become like Jesus, like little dear children. A lot of children really want to be like mom when they grow up or like dad when they grow up until they're about 15 and they could care less about you. But that comes back around a little later in life. So this is what Paul's talking about. This is what he means. Imitate Jesus as dear children would imitate their parents. Look at number two. And walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a sweet-smelling aroma. I want you to underline or at least think about these words in this, um, in this verse. Loved us, given himself, an offering, a sacrifice. Wow. Now, can you apply those to your life? Can I apply those to my life? Am I a person that loves people? Do I give myself to people and to my family? Or am I just selfish? Do I just, do I just want what I want? Do I just get what I want and I argue until I get it? Or do I give of myself? Do I offer myself as an offering to my family? You see, I think that's where a lot of marriage counseling goes wrong because they get together with the marriage counseling and they're going, oh, you just need to give them room, give them space, let them be all that they can be. That's not what marriage is. Marriage is laying your life down for the sake of another individual. That's what it is. And if you and I go into it that way and we realize that, like, that, that it is like that, we don't feel used or abused. It's like, this is what I agreed to. This is what I said. I said that I would love you and that I would serve you. So when I'm asked to take the trash out, that's not demeaning. That's, that's part of what I agreed to. 
So, giving himself, he's loved us, an offering, a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, and you guys know what it is, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Oh, don't, don't think you're off, we're off the hook by just saying friends. Oh, I can do that with my friends. He also says to love your enemy. <laughs> so he gets us coming and going, right? So the theme here is to lay down our lives for other people. If we realize that, we're not going to feel degraded. We live in a world today where it's like, it's all about you. Make yourself whole. Make yourself, it's, you know, you deserve this, go out and get it kind of thing. But that's, that's not what the scripture says at all. 1 John 3.16, by this we know because he laid down his, by, excuse me, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And in case that word brethren gets each other. We should lay down our lives for each other. So, let's, let's kind of condense this. Real love is not greedy. Real love is not self-consuming. It is sacrificial. So we shouldn't feel bad if every once in a while we have to sacrifice. That's, that's what it's about. Now, as with most things, this is completely opposite of what the world is telling everybody. The world is saying you must love yourself first before you can love anyone else. Hogwash. Paul is saying you must love Jesus first. If you love Jesus first, it is then and only then that you can truly love other people. Because now you're doing it for a higher standard. If you look at your wife, there's going to be times you're going to say, she's not worthy of me sacrificing. Or she's going to look at you and go, he's being a jerk. He's not worthy of me sacrificing for him. The kids are going to look at their parents and feel the same way. The parents are going to look at the kids are going to feel the same way. But when you and I are doing it for Jesus, that's a much higher call. And say, I might not feel like this. My feelings might go in an opposite direction. But I know what God has told me. So I'm going to do my best to rise to that. Even in the case of suicide, that poor individual has turned the weight of the world inward. They've turned it all inward upon themselves and it is too much to bear. Lord, the Lord never in intended us, excuse me, to be that self-focused. And you go, well, isn't that what we do? In most cases when we get depressed, now I'll, let, me, let, me, let me kind of slice that down the middle and say this. There may be conditions. There may be medical conditions for that. Please go get help. But when we get depressed, a lot of times it's because we've taken the cares of the world or something else and we've internalized it. And now we feel sorry for ourselves. And once we begin to do that, we start taking on all the cares of the world and we start dumping them in on ourselves, and we look at everything through that 
uh, perspective of self-pity. And then we get to the point sometimes to where we look at life and just go, it's not worth it. If it's not going to get any better, I don't want it to, I don't want it to go on. Here's the point. We cannot love others properly if we're always wrapped up in ourselves. And I think that, like I say, there are medical conditions, but I think it helps a tremendous amount when we can say, I know that he's a good God. I know that he loves me. I know that he went to the cross for me. And I know that all things work together for good. Now, when I put all those together, I can say, I can get through this. But again, if you need help, please, 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 Go get that help. Ephesians 5, 3, and 4. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not be even named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. Got quite a list there. Sexual sins, anything immoral, even greedy jealousy should be things that we allow the Lord to remove from our lives. As human beings, these are going to plague you. That, that's what it means to be human. These things are going to plague you. You have a choice. We have a choice to give in to them or reject them. If we put Jesus first in our life, that means we need, we need to say no a lot. No, I'm not going to go there. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to watch this. No, I'm not going to listen to this. He's saying that these things should be so far removed from our life that no one can even suspect or accuse us of those things. Now, that's, that's a pretty pristine life. Are you going to do it perfectly? No, you're not. How many times do you have to tell your children things? 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50. In your lifetime, how many times have you said the same thing to even just one child? God's working on us. We are growing. We're learning to imitate, to be like him. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, it says, abstain from every form of evil. Every form of evil. The King James Version, if some of you have the King James with you, it means even the appearance of evil. You might say, well, man, then I'm living my life for everybody else. No, you're not. You're living it for Jesus. And in doing so, you're going to be helping other people who want to walk that walk and want to imitate Jesus because they can now imitate you because you're imitating Jesus. And you're going, that's a heavy responsibility. Yeah, Jesus has got that responsibility. All we're doing is imitating. But to try to put those things away. He goes on to mention things that are not fitting, if you will, for the Christian walk. Filthiness. Filthiness. That's, that's kind of inside and out. You know, that's, that's obscenities. It's filthy language. We should be able to put that away. Now, now think about this. We're saying, I'm a Christian. 
I have the spirit of God inside of me, which is the most powerful force in the universe, but I can't quit cussing. It doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense. And if somebody is around you who is a Christian, they're going, I thought you had Jesus in your life. Now, the people that don't know Jesus, they're probably going, hey, he's really cool, man. He's Christian. He still swears. But they're not the ones we're trying to please. They're not the ones that we take our direction from. So filthy language. Foolish talking. This is kind of self-explanatory. Foolish talking. Coarse jesting. They go kind of hand in hand. Paul doesn't say that some of those things might not be funny. But he does say that they're inappropriate for us as Christians. This is why they're so dangerous, because they do appeal to the flesh. Sometimes they might be hilarious, but we need, we need to do our best to walk away from those things. And then he says our time would be better off giving God thanks. Well, what does that mean? Well, God, thank you for my life. Thank you that I didn't die, and my wife didn't die in that accident. Yeah, there's a lot that surrounds it, but we're alive. We're here today with our church family. There's so much to thank God for. In Romans um, 7, 8, give it to me, Romans 7, all things work together for good, Romans, yeah, that one, 8 and 9, 7, 8, 9, is that right, did I get it right? All right, no, I didn't get that right either, all right, I'm getting old. Here's the thing, it still works together for good, that I know. I know that it all works together for good. Do I know what the end of it's going to be? I don't. Is it a hassle? <laughs> yeah, it's a hassle. Is it inconvenient? Oh, yes, it's an inconvenience. But I know that my God has something planned in it. And I know that He loves me. So... Putting away those things, counting, counting on the Lord, knowing that he's going to do something amazing in our life. Guys, if we don't have Romans, that one, we don't have anything. 8, 28, and 29. Yeah, there we go. If we don't have that, we have absolutely nothing. Why? Because you're all going to go through trials. You're all going to go through tough stuff. You're going to go through hard things. So how do you deal with it? You, you can't do the why. If you do the why, it's going to drive you nuts. God, why did you allow this in my life? You can't do that because when you ask the why, you're kind of saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. When you and I are able to just say, God, I don't know why. It doesn't matter why. What matters is that you love me and I know that you love me. And no matter what is going on in my life right now, you're going to work this out. And somehow in the end of it all, you're going to bless me more than I anticipated. As many of you know, I got a chance to pray with a man who uh, pulled out in front of us. And I got a chance to give his little girl a hug. It was a, a, a guy and his uh, little nine-year-old daughter. And you, as you might imagine, they were both, both torn up. We were all torn up. It was not a, not a pleasant thing. But God still 
uses those things in her life. All right, guys, I've kind of beat that one. We'll go ahead and uh, move forward. But here's the thing. Here's something that works for me, and I shared this on Wednesday night. Satan hates it when you and I give glory to God. And he will use those kind of settings, those kind of disappointments, he will use those in our life to get us to blaspheme God. And if it's not complete blasphemy, it will be doubting God, which is really blasphemy anyway. But he hates the name of Jesus, so when you turn around and give God glory for that, This is why we're told to rejoice in our sufferings. Not because they're pleasant. But if you and I can turn around and praise the name of Jesus in the middle of it, he hates that. I think that's part of the devil fleeing in our life. It's like every time I put a trial in this person's life, they turn around and give praise to God. I'm going to slow up on that. Because I hate hearing the name of Jesus Christ. So, when you put it all together, giving God the glory for everything. All right, look at verse 5. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, here, this might shock you, but every single one of those people will be in heaven. Let me read it again. For this we know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. But every single one of those kinds of individuals will be in heaven. You know why? Because at some point in their life they repented and they accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And all those things were wiped away. Man, you've got to love that kind of mercy. You have to love that kind of grace that no matter what kind of life we've lived, God gives us a chance to cash it in for a brand new one. But we shouldn't be practicing those things. The people that are referred to in this verse, they're the ones content with practicing their sin and making a mockery of the cross. In other words, we just keep doing it. We just keep, these folks just keep doing it. Instead of accepting the grace and the mercy of God, they just keep doing it. Now you might say, well, I've stumbled, but that's not the same. That's not the same. The Savior is there to take care of the stumblings, but we're not supposed to live in that. We're not supposed to live in that. I think it's worth mentioning that Idolatry is worship of anything other than God. You might be surprised as Christians if we really start separating it, how many things we worship. Our cars, our houses, our kids. Our status, our position, our money. I mean, we can go on with the list. But you'd be surprised how much we put into those as opposed to how much we put into our walks with the Lord. D.L. Moody said this, you don't have to go to heathen lands today to find false gods. America is full of them. Whatever you love more than God is your idol. Let's move on to verse 6 and 7. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Man, you know, (laughs) truth in advertising, 
it's gone. There's very little truth in advertising anymore. If any of you are on YouTube or whatever, you'll see a headline and you'll go, man, I want to check this out. You check it out and there's nothing in there about that headline. There's nothing in the headline. You go to get a car, they'll tell you it's bumper to bumper warranty until you have something between the bumpers <laughs> that needs fixing. They'll go, oh, you didn't read the, you didn't read the contract. That's not, that's not covered. Your tires, your rims, your motor, nothing of it. It's really not covered. Just the two bumpers. That's all it means. You just got the... <laughs> Empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Now, partakers for me gives me the, uh, the, the figure in my head of people having dinner together. Sitting down with a meal together. You're partaking. All, all those people are partaking of the same meal. We're not supposed to be partaking of the meal of the world. We must also remember that no matter how seductive or how innocent sin might seem to be and how much people have done it so much now that they think you're weird for not wanting to be involved in that. God has judged it and he will not bless it because he cannot bless it. Now, I don't want to be on the wrong side of what God says is good and what God says is bad. I don't want to be on that side of that. Life is hard. Life is tough. We need Jesus. We need him working on our behalf. And I don't want to put any obstacles up that would cause him to not be able to do that. You go, well, God wouldn't do that. You do it to your kids. Don't we put up obstacles? He wants a car. He can't. He, he would, I'm not getting him a car. You know, he wants a car when he's 16. He can't even clean his room. I'm not getting him a car. Not responsible. <laughs> And we think that that's normal, and it, it is pretty normal. It is pretty normal, pretty normal. Okay, let's move on. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. See, that's that mimicking, finding out what is good and acceptable to the Lord. How do you find out what's good and acceptable to the Lord? He's written us. He's written us a love letter to tell us what is acceptable. And have no fellowship, here it is, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Who are your closest friends? Who do you hang out with? Are they born-again believers in Jesus that build you up and you can build them up and you can share your hearts with? Or are they still carnal people that drag you down and when they're gone, you've picked up some old habits that you shouldn't have picked up? That's not being a snob. That's not being better than someone else. It's trying to be like Jesus. I can't be around you and be like Jesus. You draw me away from Jesus. Now, you might not want to say that to him, or maybe you would. But the point is, we have to withdraw from that. And are people going to completely understand it? No, they're not. But that's not the most important point or the most important reason. The most important point and reason is 
because we want to be like Jesus. Now, did you notice in that very first verse of chapter 8, he said, you are darkness. You were darkness. Not that you had darkness in you, but you were darkness. Not that you were once in the darkness, but you were darkness. How and why were we in darkness? Well, those who are without Jesus Christ at least have an excuse. Not a reason, but they don't know better. If they, if they haven't heard the good news, if they haven't heard what God requires of them, how can they know what the right thing to do is? But when the Holy Spirit lives within us, He teaches what is acceptable to God. So instead of cohabitating with the ungodliness and making excuses for it, we should expose it. First thing with almost anything in life is admitting it's an issue. Whether it's drinking, whether it's drugs, whether it's sexual sins, no matter what it is. The first thing is admitting you have an issue with it. If you face that head on, then you can go to the Lord and say, God, please help me. Got to expose it for what it is. And then say, God, please help me to deal with this. Obviously, I seem to be powerless, but you're not. I seem to be running like the dog back to its vomit. But you can give me the power to break that. And that's why the word of God is so important. Because you and I can't, we just can't muster up the courage to break those things sometimes. We have to depend upon Jesus and what Jesus is doing in our life. And that power of God's Holy Spirit to be able to overcome those things. Look at verses 12 and 13. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Okay, that, that kind of is a little more poetic than, than it necessarily needs to be. But when you step into a dark room and turn on the light, you can see. You step into a dark room with no light, you're going to break your toe. Right? You have to turn on that light, and then when you turn on the light, you go, okay, the things that are in there are made manifest. Light is in the Lord. Light is, all light is not the same, because you meet a lot of people go, well, I'm enlightened. To what? To what? If you're enlightened to who Satan is, that's not helping you any. That's hurting you. But we as Christians should walk as children of the light. Look at that again. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. By the light of Jesus Christ. For whatever makes manifest is light. And you and I, he's basically saying, walk in that. Instead of stumbling around in life trying to figure out what life is all about, follow Jesus and he'll show you. You'll be able to see things you didn't see before. 14 through 17, therefore he says, wake up. Wake up. Don't you want to just put that on every social media everywhere in the world and be heard and just say, wake up. 
wake up. Wake up. You know, take a look at what's happening. And he says, first, let's do that in our own lives. Wake up. Wake up. Awaken you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. How can you arise from the dead? That's only in being born again, right? So, accepting Jesus Christ, and he will give you the light that you need to walk in this world. Verse 15, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, what it means to walk circumspectly is to be aware of your surroundings. They will tell you, especially with you ladies at night, if you go grocery shopping or whatever, look at your surroundings. See what's around you. See who's around you. See what's going on. Watch what's going on. And I know that there's some folks that just got... You know, this, this is what I got to do. This is what I'm going to do. And, and nothing in the periphery. Right? Now, that's great. That is an awesome trait when you're dealing with one-on-one. When you're talking to somebody and you can give them that full focus and that attention. It's like, I see you. Right? But when you're out on anything else or out in public, you've got to watch everywhere. You have to look everywhere like even even in this situation that we were in it's like no time to react no time to react the man just turned in front of us and boom no time to react be aware of the circumstances as much as you possibly can so he says awake be awake know what's going on around you spiritually because we're not just talking about physically here we're talking about spiritually he says make sure that you walk circumspectly what's going on spiritually around me you guys might think that this is a little strange but if you're a Christian you can sense a room like no one else you can sense evil in a room you can sense hurt in a room. You can sense pain in a room. Now, I'm not going to try to magnify this and make it be something that's weird, but you just sense it. There's just something there that you know it is not right. Not as fools. Man, I keep getting this thing popping up. Not as fools. Well, how does a fool walk? Any way they want. <laughs> Any way they want. And they don't care. Who they hurt, they don't care who's around them. They don't care about any of that. Redeeming the time, what does that mean? You and I only have a certain amount of time. The days are evil. Now, if the days were evil then, magnify that. Multiply that to the days we live in today. And he says to redeem the time that you have. How much time do you have? Could be any minute, right? Could be on your way out of your neighborhood to go get a pop from QT. And boom, it's done, it's over. It could be any time. Well, let's say you live a long life and you live to 100 years old or 110 or whatever it is you desire to live to. It's still a short amount of time because you will look back. Every time you hit the, uh, another 10 years, you'll look back and go, where did they go? Where did those 10, go, 10 years go? You see pictures of your, of your babies and you're going, <laughs> blink, 
I blink and they're gone, and they I blink and they're raised. They're, they're adults. The time's gone. So redeem the time because they're evil. Therefore, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of God is. Don't walk as foolish uh, people. They do silly things and they're not building into eternity. They're just building into this world. I mean, guys, you can't, you can't go on social media at all without seeing that it's all about whoever's thing it is. It's all, it's all about them. Because they're making money with every time you subscribe or you click or whatever else. All right, verses 18 through 20. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Give thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord. Now, we'll take a look at the first one. A Christian should never get drunk. Those of you that drink, make sure you underline that, double underline it. A Christian should never get drunk. It does not say that a Christian cannot have a drink. It's important that we point that out. It doesn't say that a Christian can't have a drink, only that they should not get drunk. But now here's a few things for us as Christians that we have to consider in the process. When are you considered drunk? Well, according to the law, you're drunk if your blood alcohol level is 0.08% or above. It's 0.04% if you're a commercial driver. Now, here's the question. How does the Christian know when he or she has crossed that line? Do you have a little meter on you somewhere that goes, whoop, bleep, 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 bleep. You hit the, you hit the limit. Back off. That actually would be a good invention for some of you guys. Yeah. But you know, we don't have that. Most, since it's based on weight and height, metabolism, the kind of drink, and all of that stuff, I would venture to say that the average person does not know what their limit is. They might say, well, I could have two, or I could have three, or... I can only have one. But the reality of it is we really don't know. We don't know when we've crossed that. So at least as a Christian, you have to consider that this presents a problem for a Christian. Knowing when. Knowing when it's gone over that. Because when it does, it's against what God would have us do. And he says that drunkenness is dissipation. Okay, Webster's calls that an act of using all or a lot of money, time, and resources in a foolish way. Doesn't have to just be alcohol, does it? <laughs> it could be a lot of other things. But guys, I grew up in an alcoholic family, and I know how much this can destroy uh, a family. Just, just, just decimate a family. So... Drinking is not the only way to waste a lot of time and resources, but it's definitely one of those ways. Paul says there's a better way to live. To live in gratefulness towards the Lord. To be grateful for all that he's done. Singing songs. I love it when we come in. You know, we need that worship time. Because it refocuses us. No matter what's going on in our life, it refocuses us to the goodness of God. 
And it takes our focus off of us and puts our focus back on Jesus. That's what praise and worship should do. All right, guys, I'm going to close with this. When we get saved, that's not the end of it. That's just the beginning. For a lot of people, they go, well, hey, I raised my hand. I got saved. I gave Jesus my heart. I'm done. No, 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 no. Now we got to put the big boy shoes on. Now we got to put on the, the shoes of Christ. Now it's time for us to grow, to mimic the Lord. Some folks say, well, there's nothing else to do. Well, yeah, there's a lot to do. But on our part, mostly it's just giving in and letting God do the work in our heart and in our life. Because remember, you can muster it up. You can get the willpower to do it for a day, a week, a month, six months. But if it's done in the flesh, eventually you'll go back. But if it's done in Christ and it's done through the Spirit of God, He will give you the power and the strength to be able to overcome it. Is, will it be easy? No, it won't be easy. But God will give us the ability to overcome. And when we submit our will to the will of God, it begins to renew our minds. Paul talks about that in the renewing of our mind. And then we knew it. We don't think this. I don't think the same way I did before I got saved. Before I was a Christian, I, I don't think that same way anymore. It's, it's not the same value system. It's not the same people that I hung out with. It's not the same things that I would have allowed in my life then. Now, it, it, you change because God gives you the ability to be able to do, to do that. Now, as you renew that mind, God renews the heart. And you're going to be a different individual. And I personally thank God for those changes. How many of you who are walking with the Lord would want to go back to where you were? Not many. There may be certain things that draw you, but you don't want to go back to who you were before Christ. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and I pray that you would give us the ability to let go. As I was sharing on Wednesday night, that song, Yes, Lord, Yes, Lord, Yes, Yes, Lord. When I first heard it, I, I guess I didn't completely understand it. But the more I think about it, we say a lot more no's to the Lord than we say yes. So, Father, yes. Purge, purge the things in us that need to not be there and then pour out your Holy Spirit in our, our life to build the things into our life that we need. Help us to learn to reprioritize. Help us to know and understand that there are some things that we should not be involved in and they should not take up as much time as they do. And help us to know that fellowship, being in church, having Christian friends, reading the word, having praise and worship in our life, those are things that we just need to hold on tightly and understand and know. We may not always want to do those things, but they're vital. They're absolutely important in our walks for us to learn to be like you. Father, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I will be down front if you would like to follow up anything in prayer. And I know anybody in the worship team would be glad to pray with you also. So, Lord bless you guys. Have a great day.